Welcome to the Worship Leader Essentials podcast, brought to you by Worship Catalyst. Worship Catalyst is a nonprofit ministry built to help people find and worship Jesus by mentoring and training worship leaders and their teams. This podcast is part of that mission. In the next few minutes, it is our goal to help you do more with less. For more information and resources or to connect with us, please visit worshipcatalyst.com. We're so glad you're here today. Let's learn together. Hey, Austin Ryan here for another episode of the Worship Leader Essentials Podcast, and today you get just me. And I'm answering a question that I guess every time I talk to a worship leader, I kind of get this sense that they would like something that they don't have, and that is a culture where people in their congregation are really worshiping God. You know, I think there's a a dissatisfaction that takes place in pretty much most worship leaders when they look at some, you know, YouTube video or they look at some worship concert or they go to some arena and everybody's like got their hands up and they're singing loud and they're going crazy and then they go to their church and people's arms are crossed or they're not singing that loud or they're not singing at all or you know they're walking around in the back or having a conversation while you're trying to you know lead them towards Jesus and worship and so there's kind of a dissatisfaction in all of that and so it's like how do we develop a culture where people connect with God on a consistent basis now, there's a lot of things that go into that, you know, a whole lot of things that go into that. And one of them is teaching, you know, just teaching on worship. What is it? Another thing is skilled leadership from the stage, from worship leaders that are actually going to God and taking other people with them skillfully rather than just singing songs or, you know, making it through the day. There is a skill set to really connecting congregation with Jesus. And we go over a lot of that in our course, Worship Leader Essentials, our mentoring process, and you can check that out at worshipcatalyst.com slash mentoring. But a third aspect of this, I think there's pastoral teaching that goes into worship culture. If you look at churches that have like just a, where people are usually engaged with God in worship, and they're singing, and they're active, and they're participating, almost always you see that a pastor has been teaching on worship a lot. Like, that's just one of his go-to messages, go-to sermons. And even when he's not preaching on it, he's still teaching on it in some way. There's like a, a, a real engagement from the pastor and saying to the congregation, this is worship, and we are going to be a church uh, that that worships God in a lot of different ways. And one of them is through singing, and, and they just talk about it all the time. And then there's this great leadership from worship leaders. And then the third thing is an IQ from the congregation an IQ of the congregation of what worship really is. And this comes partly through that teaching from the pastor and from the teachers, that that becomes a part of the normal conversation, and so the crowd is understanding more and more and more. The congregation gets what worship is and what the Bible says it is. You know, when I talk to worship leaders and pastors, and I even talk to, you know, church attenders and ask them about worship, I find that people don't really know much about what it means. Like, what does the Bible really say about worship? And their definition is something like, you know, songs sung before a sermon. That's really what they think. They may not say that, but that's kind of what they're thinking. They're thinking it's music, right? Connecting to God through music maybe would be a definition that uh, most people would give about what worship really is. But we know that it's daily and minute by minute, and it's our devoted response to God from Romans chapter 12. Our sacrificial response to God in worship is what worship is. It's our sacrificial response to God, our devoted response to God. And so in response to all of this, this idea of wanting to help churches with uh, worship culture and raise the IQ 
of um, what the Bible really says about worship and the congregation uh, members' minds and hearts, uh, we, Worship Catalyst, and me specifically, we put together a new resource called My Devoted Response, and it's built to help with this issue in your church. And what it is, it's a a four-week devotional process that everybody in the congregation goes through. There's six devotions per week. I'm going to lay one out here for you in just a minute so you get an idea, but again, there's four weeks, and so the idea would be that everybody in the congregation every day for a month is going through 24 main scriptures in the Bible about what the Bible says about worship, and the pastor then has that opportunity, if, if they want to, in that season, that, that month, they can preach messages on worship, and we have some of those. If you wanted to reach out, we can uh, give you some outlines or some, uh, some manuscripts of some things that we've taught about that in the past. And so there's six days per week for four weeks, that's 24, 24 scriptures and what they mean, uh, 24 stories that, uh, that we tell in the book, 24 questions that they can ask of themselves. There's actually more than that, because there's two or three questions per day, and 24 theology lessons, and they're told in engaging ways for the whole congregation. So uh, you can pick up this book on Amazon to check it out. You can reach out to us. We can get you better pricing if you want to buy a bunch of them for your team, or specifically a lot of them for your whole church. But I wanted to just read one of these. This is from week two, day one, and the title of this particular devotion is called Worship is Sacrificial, and all of them have the same pattern, so I'm just going to read this one. There are a few statements nobody ever wants to hear. The pathology report is back. We need to talk. Um, This is the county jail. Are you the parent of John Smith? And in a different way, but similarly chilling. Uh, Hey, I'm moving to a new house on Saturday. Can you help me with my stuff? I got that last call, or text actually, a few years ago from a a guy moving to our city. I'd met him a few times when he visited, but but this was not a close friend by any means. I do appreciate alarming information coming by text instead of phone calls. It gives me time to process. People always know when you're lying on the phone. Uh, yeah, yeah, about Saturday, I uh, have a... I need to check with my wife first because, um, you know, she, she holds the calendar and all, and... Our daughter has a thing on the other side of town, and well, I just don't know what time it starts or what day it is or even if she's involved in it, really. So let me get back to you. I got your number, and I'll dial it and uh, give you an answer uh, when I get all this sorted out. Well, everybody knows you're lying when your phone response sounds like that. But texting is different. First, you can be careful not to open it when you read the first preview line. That way, you have plausible deniability when they ask about your non-response two weeks later. Uh, you moved? You should have asked me to help. Oh, you did? Oh, man. I don't think I got that text. Let me check. Oh, wow, there it is. I I just somehow didn't see it when it came across my phone or something. Weird. It must have come in late. Uh, my phone's been acting weird lately. Sorry about that. I would have helped. I would have loved to help. I love moving washers and dryers up to third-floor apartments. Call me next time you move, for sure. Also, when someone texts, you can, you can take some time to think and formulate a caring note that sounds somewhat credible. Hey, John, man, I would love to help you, but I already promised my grandmother I would go see her in the nursing home on Saturday. She's been looking forward to it, and I would hate to disappoint the matriarch of our family. She turns 95 next month, and I'm not sure how many more Saturdays I have to spend with her. Hit me up next time, for sure. 
So my family showed up to help this new guy move, of course. I wasn't looking forward to it. It was easy to find his new house because in the driveway sat the largest U-Haul truck in the universe. We headed into the new house to find 15 other people I knew who had responded to the yes from his text for help. They already started unloading boxes, lamps, furniture pieces, and sporting equipment. So we all jumped in to help, and within 45 minutes, the truck was empty and all their stuff was in the proper room. As we were leaving, it hit me. Getting off the couch, getting in the car, and driving to this guy's house to help him move felt like a huge sacrifice. Moving is hard and dirty work, especially in Las Vegas, in the summer. But in the end, I was glad we had gone. Strangely, it felt good to sacrifice. It felt even better to sacrifice together with my family and the others. And it felt best knowing that I had done something to make a real difference in a family's life. The scripture. Let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Hebrews 13, 15 through 16, New Living Translation. What it says about worship. Sacrifice pleases God, and worship is sacrificial. I'm not sure worship was ever meant to be clean and tidy, easy, or fun. If you think back to Exodus and Leviticus, where God set up a system of sacrifice whereby we worship Him and He atones for our sin, it included blood. Lots of it. Bulls and heifers, lambs, birds, rams, and more. The owners of these animals sacrificed food, money, and even companionship to worship God. It wasn't as easy as pulling up to the temple and singing a few songs at the early service so that he could make it to the game on time. It cost something. Paul affirmed this concept in Romans 12.1, where he, he wrote that offering our bodies as a living sacrifice is our reasonable act of worship. I've often wondered why Paul went to the trouble of writing the word living before the word sacrifice. Here's my conclusion. Had he simply said, offer your bodies as a sacrifice, the readers might have assumed him to mean some sort of mass suicide. Their only real concept of sacrifice was full devotion to the point of death. The new believers in Paul's day might be disheartened by our lack of sacrifice and need for stylized preference when it comes to worship. True worship means we are sacrificing something. Time, preference, money, energy, etc. Apply it. Let us proclaim our allegiance to Jesus' name sacrificially. Give something up, that style, that time, that sleep, that money, that privacy. Offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes it will be by singing a song, even if you don't like it. Sometimes it will be through giving food to someone in need when it means that you won't get to eat anything yourself. Sometimes it will be by waking up early to pray and read the Bible when you went to bed only four hours before. And sometimes it will be by giving up a Saturday to help someone move. In every case, worship is meant to be sacrificial. And when it is, God is pleased. Two questions. Number one, what are you sacrificing to worship Jesus? Number two, as you pray, what do you sense God might be calling you to sacrifice to worship Him more fully? All right, so that's an example of um, these devotions, and uh, there's 24 of them, like I said, four weeks, six per week. 
They all have a story like that, and they all have the scripture, and they all have what it says about worship, so there's the theology part, and then apply it part, so that people aren't just learning the theology, but actually applying it to their lives, and then some questions to drill it even deeper. So uh, you can find the book on Amazon uh, to get a copy. If you want to get a group of them, like I said, reach out to us. Uh, at Worship Catalyst, you can uh, email Cami C A M I at Worship Catalyst and tell her how many books you would like, and we can get you a better price by drop shipping them straight to you from the publisher. So, anyway, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to share that with you today, and I hope that this book, and I know that this book, because God led us to do it, is going to be useful and impactful on your church, your people, and I know that God will use it to help them to worship God more freely, not just on Sundays, but more sacrificially throughout the week. So have a great week, and I'll see you next time. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Worship Leader Essentials podcast. We'll be back soon with another helpful episode. For more information and resources, or to connect with us, please visit worshipcatalyst.com.